75,000 Kaiser Permanente healthcare workers went on strike last week in the largest walkout ever for healthcare workers in the United States, voicing deep concerns over safe staffing levels and inadequate pay over the course of their three-day strike, the workers drew attention to the profound crisis gripping the capitalist healthcare system. We need a new system. We need a new society. We need to demand that which may have sounded impossible even a few weeks ago, but is not only realizable, but an imperative necessity. We are excited to have Professor Richard Wolf join us again for our regular weekly segment where we talk about the biggest stories related to the economy, the state of the working class, and the crimes of big business. I'm your host, Brian Becker. The Socialist Program brings you content several days a week thanks to the support of our patrons at patreon.com forward slash the socialist program. We appreciate all of your support and encourage you, if you're not yet, to become a patron today to help keep this show going. Richard Wolff is the co-founder of the organization Democracy at Work. He's the author of many books, the latest being The Sickness is the System, When Capitalism Fails to Save Us from Pandemics or Itself. Be sure to check out all of his work at rdwolff.com. That's rdwolff.com. Professor Wolff, welcome back. Thank you, Brian. I'm glad to be here. We've been talking, Professor Wolf, increasingly in the last year over the strikes of unhappy, disgruntled, discontented, angry workers. Some of them have been in schools. Some of them have been in auto plants. In the case of the UPS workers, they didn't strike, but they militantly prepared to strike and then as a consequence, won some major concessions. This is clearly a revival of the labor movement going on, a a labor movement that was very much in decline, contracting over several, several decades. But here we have the nurses and healthcare workers, a third of the nurses nationwide are saying that they are likely to leave their profession, hoping for another career in the coming period. That's according to a survey from AMN Healthcare. So you have this kind of unprecedented development of a strike. It wasn't an ongoing strike, it's a three-day strike, but it was kind of a shot across the bow because the nurses and other healthcare workers who went on strike at Kaiser Permanente last week, 75,000 strong, say that unless their demands are met, unless they are listened to, they're preparing for a longer strike. Of course, when you're taking care of patients and the the workers feel a great responsibility to the patients, it's not easy to strike. You know, you're clearly taking away staff services for people who are in need. That means things are desperate. That means the situation is desperate. And it's not just about wages. It's, in fact, not even mainly about wages. It's really about conditions. 
Let's talk about that. Okay. I agree with you. Uh, no need to go over it. We are in a time of the working class feeling as though it is being shortchanged. And you're right. It's not just wages. It's also the conditions under which employers are putting employees. We should all remember that what's in the mind of the employer in a capitalist economic system is not the wages or the conditions, it's the profits. And if you can lower wages and make more profits, you do. If you can't lower wages, then you do something else because you have to always focus on your profits or else competition uh, and the changes around you will threaten your existence as a capitalist. So one of the things you do if you can't lower wages is to hire fewer people to do the same work because that, that way you save money just like you would have if you kept the same people but lowered the wages you paid them. And in the health field, we already see an economy here in the United States which has pushed the price of medical care, health care, whether we're talking doctors or hospitals or drug and device makers or health insurers, and those are the four industries that make up what should be called the medical industrial complex. The price of medical services, all of them, are higher in the United States by a lot than in most other industrial advanced countries. We are an outlying observations because those four industries, having gotten together in the medical industrial complex, have jacked up prices for our medications, for our hospital stays, for our doctor visits for the last half century beyond anything you see in other countries. And they've gone about as far as they dare to go. Well, then, what are they going to do? Well, they're going to have to jack up their profits some other way. And the preferred way that many of them have turned to is understaffing, hiring fewer people to do more work. It's nothing new, but it has happened more and more, and it is driving people, and by the way, not just in the health field, but particularly in the health field. For example, yesterday, thousands of employees of the Walgreens pharmacy chain, one of the largest chains of uh, drugstores in the United States, among the two or three dominant chains in this country, walked off the job. And guess what they said, speaking to the media, that their biggest concern was understaffing. And let me inject a personal note. Two weeks ago, my wife and I went to a Walgreens drugstore to get be updated on our anti-COVID shots, the new shots that are part of that sequence. We made an advance reservation, as we were urged to do. We arrived six minutes before the agreed appointment we had given. We were still waiting an hour later. In a cramped, 
space with fewer chairs than there were people waiting with an agitated, angry staff and an agitated, angry group to which we should be added because this is a system that was understaffed. Waiters were getting angry. The staff was getting the brunt of the anger of the people waiting, which they didn't sign up for and didn't want and really didn't deserve because the fault lay not in those of us waiting and not in those of us working for Walgreens, but in the understaffing that Walgreens is doing all over the place, as I learned yesterday when I read the media about the Walgreens strike. So what happened at Kaiser Permanente and their threat to go out on strike again, it's happening all across the United States. But no one should have any illusion about why this is happening. We live in a capitalist system that puts the making of profits first and foremost. Walgreens, under pressure from the bankers and stockbrokers and venture capitalists that own their shares, is under enormous pressure, as are all companies, to boost their profits. If they can't do it by raising prices, they will do it another way. Look, give you a simple example from another way that this is happening. The last few months have seen a decline of inflation. In other words, the rate of growth of rising prices has moderated. But has the inflation actually stopped? Not at all. Here's what happened. You got a backlash to corporations when they jacked up their prices to make more profits. So what did they do? They decided not to raise the price of what they produce, but to save money on the costs. Then there's no price showing up. Then there are no headlines about inflation. Instead, you have two ounces less of your favorite cereal in a box. The box looks like it always did. The box is the same shape and size it always was. But inside, there's fewer of whatever it is you have for breakfast or whatever you thought was in the candy bar wrapper or whatever you thought was in the container that you purchase your objects in. It's disgusting, but it's the way a capitalist profit-driven system works. And you're going to see it everywhere. That's why more and more of the folks listening to this program get this funny feeling that there's too much month at the end of the money. That's right. You do run out of toilet paper sooner than you used to. And that's because there are fewer lengths of paper in that roll. And there are fewer drops of liquid in that bottle or container, and on and on. It's a system that is now at a point where it has to turn inward to squeeze more profits because the rest of the world is more and more resisting being complacent. That's why the oil prices brought to the U.S., are going up. That's why we have a competitor in the BRICS nations that are competing for the world's resources. This problem is not going away, 
And to the credit of the American working class, they're pushing back. They do not want to have the burdens of a declining American capitalism shoved over onto them as the people at the top demand just the same profits and just the same luxury lifestyle that they've enjoyed up until now. Richard, you're talking about healthcare and healthcare in a capitalist system and the goal of the capitalists who happen to own a hospital or an insurance company or a medical equipment manufacturer or pharmaceutical medicines, their goal, of course, is not to provide a particular service. Their goal is to make profits. And their goal is to make profits and show profits in the next quarter. And if they don't, if the CEO decides to do the humane thing, lower profits and in exchange for expanding wages, expanding services, they're going to be out of the job pretty quickly. Even though they're high paid, you know, obscenely high paid, you know, they're fundamentally under the control of the same capitalist corporate system. That said, this is not the way the capitalist system functions in all parts of the world. As a matter of fact, the United States, which always says, it's exceptional, you know, American exceptionalism. It's really exceptional when it comes to healthcare. And I want to talk to you about that because we're dealing in the United States with American capitalism, US capitalism. It is the center of the global capitalist system. It's the rudder, it's the one that kind of revived capitalism when it was in the ditch, say at the end of 1945. But it is a, it's got its own particularities. Now, you mentioned coronavirus shots. I'm going to read to you, Richard, from the Washington Post. I saved this article because it really jumped out at me. And it it goes a little bit to what you're saying. And then I have one follow-up point. Here's the headline. Coronavirus shots leading to insurance annoyances. Annoyances. I love the headline. Federal officials promised the new coronavirus shots would be free and covered by insurance. But some Americans have encountered a different reality this past week as they tried to get vaccinated only to be denied coverage or charged up to $200 for the vaccination. They have faced myriad complications from pharmacies being out of network to the vaccines not showing up on the list of approved medical expenses to needing prior authorization. Some Americans paid out of pocket to avoid waiting Others said that they weren't even given that option. Here, I love this language. The hiccups, the hiccups reflect a new reality for coronavirus vaccines as they go from being treated as a public good to a commercial product. Now that the federal government is no longer buying and distributing all of the shots, Americans must endure the usual headaches of dealing with insurance companies and a for-profit healthcare system. Well, the people who live in capitalist countries in Europe, they're not having these annoyances. I mean, I'm going to read a list real quick, and then I'm going to turn it back to you, Richard. Here are the countries that actually have universal healthcare, and that means they do have a private healthcare insurance system, but for anybody who can't afford that, 
the government has regulation and subsidies for citizens who cannot afford health care insurance premiums, and they're all part of a national plan. Here's the countries that have universal health care with a national plan. And you'll see that I'm talking about capitalist countries. Austria, Belarus, Bulgaria, Croatia, the Czech Republic, Denmark, Finland, France, Germany, Greece, Iceland, Italy, Latvia, Lithuania, Luxembourg, Macedonia, Malta, Moldova, Norway, Poland, Portugal, Romania, Russia, Serbia, Spain, Sweden, Switzerland, Ukraine, and the United Kingdom. Go ahead, Richard. Yeah, and most of those countries are poorer than the United States, therefore are spending money that they would like to spend on other things to make sure that their people, all of their people, are cared for in terms of their health. Let me make sure everyone understands that this is not only an amazing moral failure in the United States, an amazing ethical failure in the United States, it's also a business failure. Let me explain. No business in any of the countries you mentioned has to spend a ton of money buying an insurance program that will cover the medical needs of their employees. They don't have to do that because the employees are covered by the government plan. It's an enormous savings to many industries because they don't have that expense. Yes, they have to contribute taxes to help pay for that public insurance, but that's considerably less than it would cost them if they privately insured their employees. It helps them compete in the world economy with most of the other countries that you could have listed that also provide health insurance. The United States shoots itself in the foot. It makes all the companies that do provide health insurance to their workers have a competitive disadvantage because they have to raise the price of their product to cover the cost of insuring their workers, which they wouldn't have to do if those workers had a publicly financed program. You know, all this means, if you understand the economics, is that the medical industrial complex hospitals, doctors, drug companies, device makers, and medical insurers, if they weren't the monopoly that they are and couldn't squeeze out of the American people a much higher amount of money spent on healthcare than any other country, if they didn't have that power, the rest of the capitalist class would long ago have gotten in the United States what the capitalists in other countries got, namely the economies that come with a single national health care program. It's a wonderful example of the ways in which capitalism not only screws the working class but does itself no favors when a small number of them, in this case the medical industrial complex, can squeeze through their monopoly position all the other capitalists and put them at a disadvantage. 
Richard, in, in 2009, when Barack Obama took office, he was extremely popular. I was at the inauguration, millions of people, the biggest inauguration ever. There was a sense of euphoria when George W. Bush, you know, they sign off together, the outgoing president, the incoming president at the ceremony on the steps of the, the west side of the Capitol. And then the outgoing president gets in a helicopter and flies away. The three million people at the inauguration saw Bush's helicopter and three million middle fingers went up. I mean, it was a big F you to George W. Bush. People were excited. They were like, not only was Bush leaving on that helicopter, but a new day was coming. The Democrats had control of the House. They had control of the Senate. They had a popular president. They could pretty much do whatever they wanted to do, and they did do whatever they wanted to do, and it wasn't having Medicare for All, a national health care plan. At that time, Obama recognized that there was a big problem in America, 50 million people uninsured, 50 million people in the richest country. But the plan that Obama adopted was Mitt Romney's plan, the what later became called Obamacare by its critics, the Affordable Care Act. But it basically required all people in the country to sign up with private capitalist insurance companies to access health care. And then the government essentially subsidized the insurance companies on behalf of people who made lower incomes. It was a big boon to the insurance companies. It did have some benefits for people who in the past did not have any health care, but it it wasn't Medicare for all. And over time, quickly, in fact, within a couple of years, premiums started going up and up and up because the insurance companies were basically calling the tune. The right wing in that time period, you'll remember this, they all came to town hall meetings when Congress was on recess. They brought guns. They were saying this was communism. This was socialism. That's when American young people started to look up the word socialism. It was the most looked up term in the Merriam-Webster Dictionary in 2010 because the right wing was saying Obama was a socialist for having this completely privatized health care plan. And as a consequence, socialism started to become popular. It was kind of one of those ironies of history. But here we have in the United States where anybody who does anything, including something as anemic as the affordable health care plan was, gets labeled as some sort of big government communist or socialist. And the liberals, instead of like fighting back, they back down. And Obama said in, 19, in 2009, Medicare for all or a single payer health plan was off the table, off the table when he had the option to actually put it on the table. He said it was off the table even though 77% of the American people, according to a major survey, said they favored it. And that would include a lot of Republican voters. Anyway, I want to, just as our last question, sort of this, this toxic political climate where the right wing attacks everything, and then the liberals, instead of actually fighting back, the domestic liberals, they're all war hawks internationally, they don't fight back at all. They just capitulate. And, and as a consequence... The masses of people, their situation is just going down, down, down. But the unique character of the American political scene. Well, let me respond because the answer is our history. This pattern in which the right wing screams and yells 
its usual mantra, and then the liberals fold. This was developed after World War II. Remember what happened. During World War II, the enemy were Germany and Japan and Italy, and the allies were the United States and the Soviet Union. Hanging over the, the window where you went to buy your stamps in an American post office was a poster. And there, arm in arm, were Uncle Sam, the United States, and Uncle Joe for Stalin, the leader of Russia. At the end of World War II, you had not only the alliance between the United States and the Soviet Union, but you'd just come off of Roosevelt's New Deal, in which the working class won social security, unemployment compensation, a minimum wage, and the biggest federal jobs program in history, all paid for by raising taxes on corporations and the rich. And you had a backlash, a whiplash it should be called, as the business community and the rich enraged that they had been taxed for all these benefits for average people in an alliance with the enemy of capitalism over there in Soviet Russia. So there was a full court press starting in 1945 to roll back the New Deal, to stop taxing corporations and the rich, and they did it. And the way they did it was to come in and call everybody those names. You're a commie, you're a socialist, you're an anarchist, you're a Marxist, you're a terrorist, you're a fill-in-the-blank. And the liberals had no stomach for that fight. They hadn't expected it, they hadn't geared up for it, and they were destroyed. They really were. The labor movement went on a decline that hasn't stopped until this year. Extraordinary. And that's what we've seen. And the people who run the Democratic Party, if they're the older group, they went through those experiences. If they're the younger group, they have been mentored by the people who went through that experience. They hear the word socialist thrown at them, they cringe, they run for the exits, they denounce the socialists, they push them away. Look at the treatment by Obama or Clinton or any of the others, the treatment of Bernie Sanders, his marginalization. You know, it's very crude, but here's the good news. It's dying away, literally. That generation is gone or going. It's being replaced by a whole new generation of young people for whom socialism, as every poll shows, Gallup, CBS, all of them, the younger you are, the more interesting and positive you find socialism to be. This is often by people who couldn't tell you what socialism exactly is, because while they're not sure that they like socialism, they're very sure that they don't like the deal that capitalism is offering them. So all of this, you're in a sense watching the final chapters of all of this kind of thing. And as to the irony of history that you rightly point out, let me show you how it's going on now. Every speech that Donald Trump gives, he says the following at one point or another in the speech, often more than once. 
how awful are, and then he lists, as if they were all the same thing. The Democrats, the liberals, the communists, the socialists, the Marxists, the terrorists, he puts it all together. He's kind of teaching the American people that the enemies of Trump are most of the rest of us, including the communists, the socialists, the anarchists. And people are learning, if you don't like what this man is saying, if you don't agree with the way he comes on, if he strikes you as odd, as extreme, as weird, as nasty, then you are part of the other, which makes you the comrade of all those nasty names he calls. He's in fact recruiting people to do exactly what you said. Look up socialism, communism, Marxism, and all the rest of it in the Merriam-Webster dictionary because that's becoming the identity of a growing portion of the younger generation in this country. And the more the old right wing rails against them, the more they recruit for them. It's the irony of history that is always present when empires decline. All right, and for all of those young people who love this show, love listening to Richard Wolf, aren't yet patrons, support The Socialist Program because this is the kind of programming that we need to provide where people can actually understand what socialism means, have a definition of socialism, have a socialist analysis and perspective of just the highest quality like that which is provided every week here on the Socialist Program by Richard Wolff. Richard Wolff is the co-founder of the organization Democracy at Work. He's the author of many books, the latest being The Sickness is the System, When Capitalism Fails to Save Us from Pandemics or Itself. If you haven't read the book, be sure to get it, and you can find it at rdwolf.com. That's R-D-W-O-L-F-F.com. Again, you're listening to The Socialist Program. We'll be back tomorrow. You've been listening to The Socialist Program with Brian Becker, where we bring you news and views about the world for those who want to change it. If you enjoyed the show, subscribe on your favorite podcast app and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and watch video episodes of our in-depth show, The Real Story, every Wednesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on YouTube with our partner, Breakthrough News. We can only continue our work bringing you high-quality news, analysis, and history with the support of our listeners. Connect with us and become a patron at patreon.com slash the socialist program and receive an invitation to participate in an exclusive monthly seminar with Brian Becker. Thank you.